Welcome listeners, one and all, welcome to Regency Rumours, the podcast where a British-American couple recap and discuss Bridgerton, the Regency Netflix show. I'm Jordan. And I'm Kayla. And I never knew that getting stung by a bee could be so sexy? It's not, it's not sexy. When have you ever seen someone get stung by a bee and then straight after there's loads of heavy breathing and then people almost make out? Every time that someone who's allergic is stung by a bee, they can't breathe. Stop it. (laughs) This is episode three, a bee in your bonnet. If you are new to the podcast, we recap period dramas. Right now it's Bridgerton. We always start out the episode with some period drama news. This time I'm going to go on a little bit of a rant. Whoa. Because uh, there was a Times article out about the show not being able to survive without Regé Jean Page. I always say his name wrong. I feel really bad. But anyways, this Times article was basically going on a tirade about the fact that him not being in the show anymore means that the show isn't good. It says, his absence is sorely felt. Page had the kind of movie star charisma necessary to keep the show's often ridiculous plot afloat. I disagree. I think Completely that... Completely disagree. Yeah, I disagree. I think the the cast have kept it up pretty well. And I think... Oh, goodness, I don't know the name of the actor that plays Anthony. He totally has taken this season. Oh, yeah. And I'm captivated by him. And I'm not missing the Duke. I want to see this new story. I'm not, like, sitting around going, where's the Duke? I want to know what happens with him. I mean, I've not read the article, so I don't know what they're talking about. Like, he was good for the show, for the season one. Like, obviously, he was a good start and everything. But I don't know. I don't. I don't see him as being better than anyone else on the show. Like, yeah. I think that's that's a silly claim. I think so, too. This show says Regency England focused on a lot of, like, these complexities within culture and chastity and that sort of stuff. But having him on the show with his smoldering smile sold the story's absurdities. So, like, all those things about not being able to see a woman's ankles like he sold it somehow because he was smoldering and hot and all those different things and i just i think if anything it made it a bit more cheesy to have those elements not saying not saying that the build-up between daphne and the duke wasn't exciting and those sorts of things but it almost made it cheesier whereas i feel like there's more depth in this season and i yeah I feel like the relationship between Anthony and Kate is stronger and more credible. So I don't know. It would be interesting to see what our listeners think about that. We do have a Facebook group if you want to chime in. It's mostly me talking on there. But if you would like to join, it's facebook.com slash Regency Rumors with a U. I've trained you well, young (laughs) Padawan. Um, So if you want to chime in on the Facebook group and say what you think if you miss... Uh, the Duke being on there, or you think it's not that big of a deal. Some articles have said he's not missed at all, and then articles like this are like, the show's doomed because he's not on it. So, I don't know. I don't that, know what to That believe. just, to me, screams of a journalist who's been told to write an article about the show. They don't like the show, and so they thought, what can I do to drum up controversy? Maybe. I don't know. In other period drama news, uh, the show Gentleman Jack is coming back. It's started up in the UK last week. 
and it will last week when when's the what sunday day? sunday nights on bbc in the uk and then in the us it'll be on hbo the last week of april or first week of may um if you don't know what gentleman jack is it is a more realistic version of kind of georgian victorian england a true story actually about a landowning single female ann lister and her kind of journey to find unconventional love but also watching her try and keep up with a bunch of other male landowners and she's building a mine she's doing a lot of things that you would see you know male estate owners do and women weren't really in that world building estates and commerce and all those different things and so it's really exciting watching that journey and the costumes are amazing it's more set this second season is set in 1834 but I think the first season was more I think in the 1820s and there are some kind of examples of that empire waste the regency style but it's way more realistic than Bridgerton is so if you're wanting to watch a show that's got realistic clothing um Gentleman Jack is a good example it's not perfect but it's a great example and it's very realistic in the fact that it is filmed on location and when I mean on location I mean the actress Saran Jones she sleeps in the bed she sits at the desk where the real Ann Lister did her work and lived her life in in Shibden Hall where she where she lived and I think that's crazy cool there's presumably they've changed the sheets (laughs) but i mean i think that's so cool to to watch a show where they literally film on location the real location where ann lister lived her her life and went about her business that's exactly where they film so you're getting to watch someone reenact actual scenes of this woman's life because we have over a million words of her diary so we know so much about what she did and who she was and um yeah i suggest checking that out. So, on to the recap. It's the Paul Mall episode. If you don't know what Paul Mall is, it's an early form of croquet, and we will get to talking about it later in our history moment. Starting out with the recap, we're back with teenage Anthony on a hunt with his beloved father, Edmund, when the two decide to stop and pick a flower for Violet. Edmund is stung by a bee, and within seconds, it's clear he's having an anaphylactic shock. But there is nothing anyone can do about it, because, sad times, it's the Regency era. (laughs) We see very quickly what a toll the new role of Lord Bridgerton becomes on Anthony. He has to make all the decisions, not only about the estate, but about the health of his mother and soon-to-be-arriving sibling. Back in the present, the Sharma sisters have been asked to stay at the Bridgertons for a few days. That sounds like a nightmare. Much to to the delight of Daphne, who is visiting with her adorable new baby boy. From the beginning of this house party, Anthony is overly keen to get his mother's ring so he can propose to Edwina. We can tell he just wants it over and done with. Back in the city, Penelope Featherington finally decides she's going to need some help in the form of Madame Delacroix to get her paper out there so she doesn't arouse suspicion. Now, for the fun of the season, the Bridgertons and the Sharmas play a game of Pall Mall, which turns incredibly competitive for Kate and Anthony. When both Kate and Anthony's balls end up deep in the woods, the two have to go and retrieve them. This is different kind of balls than the balls we were talking about last season, where it was a lot of dances. Lots of balls. <laughs> Stop saying balls. <laughs> which gets them really stuck in the mud. The two start to have a bonding moment. Eyes flaring, intense stares, 
when it's broken off by Anthony seeing his father's grave. (laughs) As night falls, Anthony gets close to proposing to Edwina at dinner, but every time he seems to keep looking at Kate instead, and he doesn't want to go through with it. The next day, the two are out in the garden when Kate gets stung by a bee, which throws poor Anthony into a full-blown panic attack. To calm him, she puts his hand on her chest to show she's not harmed, which turns into a full-blown lust fest. (laughs) A horse distracts them at the end of the episode, which makes us quickly beg for more. (laughs) I I feel like I should, you know, rein in some of these descriptions that you write, but I think they're quite funny, so I'll, I'll I'll let you off. So initial reactions to the episode. Let me go first because I made you speak for quite a while there. <laughs> so I think one of the things about this episode is that it really highlights the things that we've talked about in previous episodes of the season. The The growth of the characters is so much better this time around. We actually see the characters change beyond the typical, I hate you. Oh, no way. I love you. Even though that's in this season, that effectively was the only growth that the characters went through in season one yeah i mean i think there was that kind of background thing with the duke and then daphne's thing with her her mom kind of being like you don't didn't tell me about sex but no sure but that's that's still not like in terms of change and growth of the characters daphne and the duke didn't really change all that much anthony on the other hand has changed loads and will change further in this season you know, like yeah. from season one to, to now and then from episode one to episode three and then beyond. There's quite a growth com- compared to season one. Yeah. yeah, exactly. I think the the kind of insights that we get into the backgrounds of the characters, obviously we got some in season one as well. Um, but here we get the, I mean, the Pomal. You've mentioned that kind of being one of the big, big things here. Um, the sibling rivalry, just the, the way that the the family kind of works. I mean, in, in season one, we got all those breakfast scenes that we mentioned. Yeah. Which were really good. And now we see a slightly different side to the family. Yeah, I think it's um, it's really bonding to watch those scenes, but it's also bonding for us as an audience. We're into season two now, and now we can start kind of generalizing and being like, oh, the family's like this. You know, the rivalry between Daphne and Anthony, or like yada yada. And I think that's... Um, that's really fun fun to see. We feel like we're in on the story now and that we know this family. I feel like I totally agree with you on there being a bit more depth and substance this season with the backstories. Those scenes with Anthony and his mom about love and loss and grief are so powerful and relatable. I almost cried in some of those scenes, which I normally don't do with Bridgerton. You know, it's so light and fun. But it's it's easy to to sympathize with him and and get to know him when he's vulnerable in those moments and to go, okay, well, these moments for him, it's it's not just about the fact that he's some rake or that he is an F boy and wants to waste women's time. He really has a hang up because his father died and he watched his mother grieve and and become a shell of herself and that's why he's afraid of love and so we have a really good backstory of exactly why that's happened to him 
Um, we did have some of those flashbacks, like I said, with the Duke last season, but it it really didn't go into as much as I think it should have of his life and um, his speech impediment and that sort of thing. This season, we really see Anthony as this flawed but charming guy with lots of good and bad qualities, and I feel like we know him a lot better and it's funny that you should mention the speech impediment because i completely forgot that that was supposedly a mm. a character thing for the duke whereas with anthony you can't help but remember well he doesn't want love he doesn't want a love match he just wants the yeah. business side because it's a key component yeah. so with the duke with the the speech impediment it felt like such a shallow thing of your father hates you because you can't speak yeah. And then he grows up and he just gets over it. Do you You're know right. What I mean? It doesn't it's... it doesn't really show that I think the book does a way better job of kind of showing oh, okay. that than than this does. The kind of depth that we see in Anthony, we didn't see as much in the Duke. Or if we did see it, we were blinded by all the sexy scenes. So And to be fair, there is a chance that if they'd kept the Duke in this season, we would have seen some of that this season. So in some ways, it's an unfair comparison because now we've had more time with Anthony than we've had with the Duke. Yeah, take our kind of comments here with a grain of salt, but, you know, it's it, it's how it feels I really, think the show watching. knows that it can't lean on sex forever, right? People are excited about having this kind of Colin possible... Penelope matching up in a in a future season. I think that actress is uncomfortable with with this idea of of having loads and loads of sex scenes for her, and I don't know that that's their plan. And so I I think that they know, you know, we've got characters like Penelope who have substance to them. We can't just make her entire storyline be about sex. So I think that they have moved away from it being about all of this sex stuff because they're like hey we've got we've got characters like Eloise who have a lot of substance to them do we really want to just make them sex symbols and so i i think that's kind yeah, of where I mean, they're going forward with that and i don't think that's a bad thing I, I, every show does that every show that uses sex in such an obvious way that i've seen anyway evolves past that you know i mean let's take one of the biggest examples of the past decade game of thrones I mean, obviously they kept some of it in, but it was so much more reduced in the later seasons because other things became more important to them. They wanted to highlight storylines. Exactly. It just simmered down. Yeah, exactly. So moving on to some main moments here. This is where we talk about some main moments throughout the show that really this episode, stood. Yeah, yeah, that's that stood out to us. So oh, this scene, I hated this scene. I I hate scenes like this. Anthony having to make a decision about his mother's birth plan. I, I didn't even know this was a thing. I'm not even sure that it really would have been a thing. I don't know. It, it sounds like the, a, a woman wasn't even allowed to like a bank account and stuff, right? Like, yeah, but I, I don't know that we would have known so far as the intimacy of the bedroom or birthing, those sorts of things, whether or not the husband would have 100% had total control over a birthing plan. I... I don't know that we have evidence of that because I don't know if anyone ever wrote about that. Maybe we do, but I I certainly think that would be a bit far, but you I mean you you never know. I mean, so, they've they've done worse things. Yeah, I I just I hate these storylines with Violet and Anthony cuz we kind of saw it in the first season, didn't we? And I told you, "Oh, this is so annoying. She birthed him." And then here he is telling her how things are going to go. I don't think 
at any point should the person that birthed you should you be telling them what to do it's just a weird power imbalance and it shouldn't happen and it certainly shouldn't be happening between anthony and violet i think they blow some of this kind of stuff out of proportions because when you watch things like uh going back to gentleman jack and lister's father was alive it's not as if he wasn't around he was alive but because he they didn't see him as a capable person she was over her her estate she inherited it and they that was on purpose it didn't go to her father because he wasn't capable so i think we have not capable how they said he was kind of a nervous type kind of a little bit like um emma's father and and jane austen's emma just a nervous type couldn't really control an estate in the same way that his very boisterous daughter could and so i i think we have those examples of of women running estates with husbands with fathers alive and so i i think some of this stuff is overblown honestly but that yeah i mean but that is a slightly different situation though isn't it that's where a woman has been given control of the estate whereas in this case a man is in control of the estate and so the surgeon is asking the person in control of the estate i suppose i i just i have a hard time believing that this would have been a thing i don't know i want to think it wouldn't been have been a thing i guess i mean i i 100 think that it would have been a thing because that's the kind of thing that they would have done like i think they they were that ridiculous with this person is in charge thing yeah but it was also a time in which birthing was behind closed doors right the man sat outside why would he just be there to make decisions there to walk in the room while his mother's giving birth it it seems a bit ridiculous to me i don't know we need well, to bring an expert on. <laughs> yeah, we do. But I mean, it, it wasn't segregated by gender, though, like because obviously the surgeon in this case was was a man. Yes, but oftentimes the, the father wouldn't be it wasn't appropriate. So the surgeon, yes. OK, but we're, t- we're not talking about a regular birth. We're talking about a complicated birth. I know. So the surgeon went to find him. So, like, he didn't just hang around, like, who let me have a look. The surgeon went to find him, didn't he? So, it's it's an abnormal situation. I, don't I think know. we still should probably have a look and see if there's anything we can find. All I'm saying is, I was very uncomfortable watching this scene. And oh, any yeah. t- anytime we've had this power imbalance with Violet and Anthony, especially because of how stubborn of a person he is, I can't stand watching those because Violet is wise and intuitive and she knows her children and she's fully capable of running everything to do with their household there's their states without anthony to be honest with you obviously because of the paternal line like he he gets the estate but if we're talking about like who would be able to run it of course she'd be able to run it without him she's capable her son knows that she's capable and yet and yet well yeah and yet but i mean part of it is the fact that they thrust this role on him though so like you mentioned that there we see how difficult taking on the mantle of his father was. And I think those scenes are really good for it because the surgeon is asking him as the lord of the family now. And then his mother's like, don't be ridiculous. You're my son. You don't get to make these choices. And he's thinking, I shouldn't have to make these choices. But at the same time, he's like, well, it's my duty. I have to step up. If he didn't, and if he truly absconded in the in the duty that would have been worse than him saying to the surgeon you listen to her and do what she tells you which is what he did in the end so i mean he, yeah he to, made... to be fair he made the right decision in the end didn't he yeah. he was like she's the one that's birthed seven kids thus far so you know trust trust your mother so 
one of the um, other main moments of this episode uh, was a much, much lighter moment, and it was Benedict and the, uh, we want to say kind of opioid incident. They don't really tell um, us what it is. No, but... they don't, but it he ingests whatever it was that Colin brings back from his <laughs> travels, and uh, Colin tells him, you know, like a single pinch is enough, and he puts the entire packet into the tea and downs it all, and he is a loopy, and it is hilarious. that The scene at the dinner table where he goes to pick his, his goblet up and he knocks it over, and uh, <laughs> Violet goes, oh, Benedict, and he, he claps his hands to his face, and he's like, Oh no! <laughs> it is the funniest thing I have seen in a long time. He's completely off his rocker. And people have been using that gif of him doing that for like the funniest things. Really? I've not actually yes. seen it. I'll any have of those. to share some on the Facebook group, but it's so funny how people have been using those. I just think it was definitely needed in this episode with all that death and grief grief and stuff. It was funny. So, another scene with Anthony and his mother, where he's not listening to his mother. Um, so, the scene where Anthony's arguing with Violet about love and not rushing into marriage. It's so frustrating to watch somebody like Anthony. We've all had that friend that won't listen to us about, like, dating advice and love. I've definitely had that before. And oh, then- yeah, definitely. I just talk to my mates all the time about their love lives. and. Okay, well, fine. You know. My girlfriends. I've <laughs> definitely talk to my girlfriends where you're giving people advice and they t- they're telling you this stuff like oh this guy said this and then he said this or he ghosted me and what do you think this text means and you're trying to give them advice and they don't listen they're so stuck in the mud about your advice and and what you're trying to tell them to do and how you're trying to get the guy to respond to them or whatever and that is anthony through and through. Anthony is that person that will complain at you about a girl he likes. And then when you give him advice, he's like, uh, fine, whatever. He's made he's made a choice based on what he knows he has to do as the head of the house. He knows what his duty is in this case that he was brought up to do, right? Which was like secure the house and all that kind of stuff. And then his mother is is rightfully saying to him like, hey, this might not make you happy. You're, you're talking as if he is um, ignoring her advice. He isn't. He just, he sees her advice as completely at, at cross purposes to his. He's like, well, that, that doesn't make sense because that's not what I'm aiming for. He's okay. purposefully ignoring the love match because he doesn't want it. Because he's seen what it does to, to his mother or did to his mother in the past. He in feels reality, duty bound. Right. But in reality, he's scared. I'll, I'll agree with that. I think I get what you mean and where you're coming from. It's a case of him putting on a lot of pressure on himself and no one else around him is putting on that pressure. He has trumped this up in his head. Yes, there is a duty at some point for him to get married. But later on, we we have a similar conversation between him and Daphne where she says, I pity you because we haven't put that on you. You've put that on yourself. And that's exactly what he's doing. Like, yes, of course they want him to get married. Yes, of course, like, he is the Viscount and it's important that he, you know, make that decision to marry and have children someday. But his mother's saying, like, you can wait on love. Like, what's the rush? Daphne's married to a a duke that's helped the family. We've got all these other kids we got to marry off at some point. You know, he is putting all of that pressure on himself for no reason other than the fact that he is scared, like you said. So I think it's 
it is a case of they're having two different conversations. You're right, where she's having a conversation about him finding love and not rushing. And he he's just going like, that's not even what I'm looking for. He's going, no, this is my duty. Right. So, And, and it's honorable for him to do that. Yeah. And so that's part of it. Like, everyone's telling him like hey you know that you can do this other thing right and he's like he's getting annoyed because he's like well what are you talking about no i'm doing the thing that my honor demands Mm. and i get it like he's grown up in this society that tells him like a man's honor is is all that he should care about and he's like well my honor says that i should look after my family to look after my family i should get married and have sons in order to do that i need to get married now and I, i need to pick the most eligible bride for that he doesn't care about the love match in the same sense of him running away from it being scared of it so yeah yeah i think those scenes are just um they're hard to watch but they're necessary for his growth like yes exactly exactly completely necessary it shows growth in violet's character as well because we see that backstory obviously the parents in any romance uh, show film don't need to change right they are secondary characters by definition so secondary characters do not need the same growth that your primary characters do violet doesn't have to go and undergo change at all to kind of from a storytelling point of view however she does in the sense of we kind of see a previous state of that character if you think about it from start to finish violet doesn't change at all Mm. however in these um flashbacks we do see that she has in the past changed because that shows from a from a writing point of view it shows that she is a mature character and and so she's already grown up she doesn't need to change whereas all these all the children are immature and therefore need to develop and grow Mm. so i think that's interesting too i think just as a sidebar i love the fact that the older women in this show are by and large seen as wise and someone that you would go to for advice because there are so many examples in period dramas where older women are seen as silly and over the top. You know, if you, if you think of Pride and Prejudice, Miss Bennett, um, you think of Persuasion, uh, Anne Elliot's sister. These women are over the top versions of, of kind of middle-aged or older women. And there's somebody that you wouldn't want to run into at a party, right? Like they're going to talk your head off or they're going to try and shove their daughter at you or something. And Violet's not like that. Violet is a measured mother. And yeah, there, there's times where she has silliness about her, but she's she's no Miss Bennett. She's not. She's a, a parent that her kids trust. Yeah. And she has been a very stable matriarch since her husband died um lady featherington on the other hand i think is supposed to show us some of that yes she represents that a hundred percent yes um however thinking like going back to my previous point of of these older characters being mature and therefore not needing to change lady featherington does yeah show some of that growth throughout this season because in a way that is the writers telling us hey this character trait this this type of of behavior isn't acceptable isn't what people should be stopping at but it also shows that those kinds of people can also change right and a lot of times when we see these representations of these middle-aged or older women it's always they're silly and that's just who they are they're secondary characters their story doesn't really matter they're silly and annoying and they they are getting in the way of the main plot points and that's why they're there and this show is saying that's not true these women they have purpose in this story and i like that Mm. 
Yeah. Interesting. So the main event of this episode, the bee sting. I am going to be honest with you. I have rewatched this on YouTube so many times because I thought it was so good. <laughs> it was just like almost un unbelievable that it would happen like that. He really grows into a panic attack in the way that a, a real person would have a panic attack. And and I think that turning into a moment of intimacy for them, chef's I think, kiss. Yeah, the thing about the panic is that on the one hand, you kind of, your heart bleeds for him. But on the other hand, it was just like really cute and adorable. It's yes. like, so oh, cute. bless, look at him. Yeah, it's so cute. Because like we, we can... I mean, a part of me when that scene was about to happen, I was like, oh no, are they going to kill her the same way? Because that would just be like no, super that tragic. that would have been too much. Exactly. It was adorable is yeah. the, the, the word I wrote down because... Well, when we know, talk about his... Pure. Yeah. When we talk about his vulnerability... Yes, yeah. This is a moment where he had no choice but to be vulnerable. It wasn't like he opened up. Exactly. It was a forced vulnerability. That's a good point. And it's really, it's a really strong moment between the two of them. And it's when we as an audience go like, oh, oh, love inbound. It, you know, it, this is the concrete moment where you go, yeah, they love each other. Like they may not know it yet. Yeah. And they don't, obviously, because it's episode three. But, you know, that's the point where you go, there you go. Mm. there's there's that real connection she cares for him like all of this like mocking behavior and this like like oh you being an idiot like get away from me type thing it breaks down in a moment like this exactly because this this is their this is their truth so i can't remember who it is i think it's robert mckee he puts on workshops and things for script writers anyway in order to kind of really see who your characters are you have to put them under tremendous pressure and that is this scene for these two characters they're under tremendous pressure and we see them at their truest self which is caring for one another so true i appreciate the fact that they prioritize these sorts of scenes and the timing that it's done you know there it's such slow timing that there's a build-up a build-up a build-up and then it busts in a moment like this between these these two characters and you can just feel the anticipation and the excitement and of course the moment when their heads are touching and they're like breathing and he is looking at her all sultry and everything then the horse neighs and that is a hundred percent such like a a period drama type thing where the two characters are in this moment that they really shouldn't be in and then something comes and breaks them apart typical so, so you know what i call that downright cruel <laughs> <laughs> just let them be together yeah, well obviously we wouldn't have we wouldn't have the show that wouldn't we have had. eight eight episodes of a show yeah, exactly i wanted to see your reaction to this so i forgot I, I read the book a long time ago i forgot that the b scene is completely different in the book okay so the b scene in the book is that he does have some sort of like a panic attack type thing but his reaction is not to have a panic attack and not be able to deal with it his reaction is that he wants to suck the venom out of her breast <laughs> and so that's what he does and she's like what are you doing and then they get into a same situation as daphne and the duke where they have to get married because somebody finds him <laughs> sucking venom off like the top of her breast that is the most ridiculous thing I think I've ever heard. Um, what? So it verges is, is completely, it verges differently. And somebody was kind of claiming like, oh, that's the way it probably should have happened because no. then there wouldn't be this back and forth and back and forth. And I do think the latter half of this season gets a bit ridiculous with the back and forth. But 
I think the way this was done was so much stronger and so much less ridiculous than him sucking venom out of I don't even know that you'd be able to do that with a bee sting. I'm I'm googling it as <laughs> as you speak because uh... it's just so over the top and it's it turns it sexual when it shouldn't be whereas this scene is very sweet and very vulnerable for the two of them and so i think it makes it a more successful scene so i mean okay so first thing i clicked on basically says don't be tempted to suck the venom out i think <laughs> i think this means on i can't believe on, you're looking this up yeah I, I think it means on yourself though when a bee stings you often it leaves the venom sack behind and the bee dies right whereas in this case it didn't it just stung and flew off yeah that's the hallmark of a wasp obviously yeah so this this article is saying that it leaves the venom sack behind so like if you if you grab the venom sack it pushes more venom into you i really feel like this is exactly what listeners have come for is this listeners have come for for you to uh talk about venom sacks all right then (laughs) i'll just shut up shall i I just wanted to tell you to to ask you what your opinion was was on it, whether or not you thought that the book scene should have been in the TV show. All right, okay, well, my answer is no. Let's move on. (laughs) Turning to the history moment here, which is the last part of our episode, I'm doing the history of Pal Mal, this fun croquet-looking game. So, Pal Mal dates... (laughs) What? Sorry, just that I like the way that you said that. This fun, croquet-looking game. Yeah. <laughs> so Pall Mall dates all the way back to the 16th and 17th century, uh, which meant that it had to be hilarious watching Elizabethan people in those massive collars yeah. attempt to play the game. On the, I was thinking that when I was researching this. I was like, I can't imagine those people in those those collars. I, I know that we've kind of debunked those collars being super uncomfortable. I've watched some YouTube videos about how they were made and they weren't that bad. But at the same time, just watching those people try and play a game like this and those, oh, I would not want to. So going off that, apparently Henry VIII was interested in versions of Pall Mall or what we believe was Pall Mall. It was written that he had a courtyard in St. James Palace where he had the area covered with crushed cockle shells to play a game of pell-mell so spelled with an e so i guess it just depended on where you're from to where how it would be spelt but very similar game across europe so pell-mell is akin to ground billards <laughs> no no billiards yeah billiards no i think it's just billards right no it's billiards, billiards because billiards itself is still a game but ground billiards i've never even heard of so I, when I read this, your notes, I was very interested. And billiards is just like pool, right? Uh, no, it's more correctly snooker. It's played very on, similar. It's played yeah. on a similar thing, right? It's, yeah, snooker and billiards is a very. It's a larger table than pool with sticks. Yeah. Okay. So pool, particularly American pool or eight ball, um, has much thicker sticks and larger balls than um English pool or billiards does and snooker. So yeah, it's it's akin to billiards ground billiards ground billiards thought to have been established in france versions of the game were spread across europe and all over the uk so the english name for pal mount derives from the italian word oh boy palamagiolo <laughs> oh no <laughs> <laughs> mm, 
Palamaglio? Yeah, that sounds more like it. Thank you very much. That that's what I'm hoping. I'm I'm really sorry if we have any Italian listeners. That's uh, interesting that the the name would come from Italian when it supposedly came to us through France. Then. Yeah, I'm not sure. Um but that translates to mallet ball. Or it should if we pronounced it correctly. <laughs> Differing from croquet, you normally would play it over long strips of grass rather than like a crisscross arena so there is actually a road in london that's named palmal um, supposedly because people used to play the game on the road so often so the purpose of palmal was to strike a wooden ball with your mallet down an alley and through a hoop the winner of the game kind of like in putt putt or mini golf is whoever got their ball through the hoop in the least amount of shots or like actual golf Okay. <laughs> no, I, mean, I don't know very much about golf, but yeah, like... I mean, I, to be fair, in golf, you've got a hole in the ground as opposed to like put-put or mini golf where you've got like all the obstacles and stuff. So I, I can see why you wrote that. Apparently, once the playing pitches were no longer popular, they were turned into shopping centers. This is a cool fact that I did not know, which is where we got the term shopping malls in North America. I never knew where the word mall came from in America, and that makes so much sense. So the game of Pall Mall was one of the most iconic scenes in the book, and I'm really glad that they decided to integrate that into the show. And I was wondering if they did something like that, how would they make it fun and stuff? And people have loved it. And I think it's funny because I feel like croquet sellers have got to be like selling out right now. Do you think? <laughs> yeah. Oh, totally. I think that um, I have seen for the ball experience, the British and ball experience, that they have put out a like a croquet type set, a Pall Mall type set. So I, I bet like croquet sellers are like, oh, thank you, Lord. It's our time. Because <laughs> like how popular could croquet really really be on a widespread i know people still like croquet but like on a widespread i honestly have way. no idea I, i've got yeah. zero concept of how popular a game that would be but it does make me want to go play it that would be fun we should go set it up somewhere and play it i don't i can't i can't think of anywhere that would be appropriate we we live in wales everything is hilly and <laughs> uh you would on the beach <laughs> Maybe. There you go. I mean, maybe. I don't know. If you see two crazy people on the beach <laughs> playing some Pow Mow, shout at us because it's us. <laughs> so thank you so much for listening to this episode of Regency Rumors. I'm just going to wrap up here. So I wanted to suggest a book that I have been reading. It's called What Kitty Did Next, which is the story of Elizabeth Bennett's younger sister from Pride and Prejudice. I am a sucker for Jane Austen adaptations. I've read a lot of kind of Pride and Prejudice. I've read Longbourn and Death Comes to Pemberley. And there's so many books that are based off of that main story of Pride and Prejudice. But anyways, it's by uh, an author, I think, named Carrie Cablain. And I really enjoyed the story. I recommend it. You can find it on Amazon. And it will be on my Instagram. Our Instagram, excuse me. It's currently on sale in the UK, but I'm not sure about the US. I think also in the US you can get it on in print form, actually. I had to get it on my Kindle, but you can get it on print form. So I highly recommend it. Is it Amazon only or? No, no, no. I don't know. You don't know? <laughs> I don't know. You know what? I'm going to put it in the show notes. That's what I'm going to do because that's what professional podcasters do. They do things and like. And we are we, professional. You know what? We're professional. 
We're super What did you say it was called? What Kitty Did Next? What Kitty Did Next. Thank you so much for listening to Regency Rumors. Did you, have, did you forget? I didn't forget the name of our podcast, but I did. 